Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Executive Creative Director at Catch and Release and one of the ad nerds at Ad House. This is my conversation with creative, hip-hop artist, activist, and writer, Roshmond Sum Patton. After two decades of freelance, which included a stint writing the groundbreaking social media for Donald Glover's show Atlanta, Sum has taken his first full-time position as a creative director at Glow in Los Angeles. Get ready for an origin story that blurs the lines between art, technology, and advertising, with a great big helping of empathy thrown in. The A-List podcast is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where you get 10 weeks of Zoom classes with a working ad pro for one of the lowest prices in the ad school game. Register now at adhousenyc.com. And now, here's my conversation with Sum Patton. Where are you located? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. Well, thanks for hopping on so early. Uh, I am in Queens, New York. Right on, right on. Yeah. So yeah. we're East Coast, West Coast rivalry here. <laughs> a former recovering New Yorker, you know. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When did you move out to L.A.? I uh, mean, I've been here 16 years now, so it's been a while. And my, and my tenure in New York was uh, short but impactful. You know, I was there for about five years in the early 2000s. I grew up in, um, in North Carolina, and I guess that's oh, nice. what I consider home. And growing up, were you artistic? I've always been a writer. Um, writing is my primary function, um, but I've always been a creative, yes. Um, and uh, as, as I have young children now, um, they're reminding me what type of creative I used to be because they're like that. You know, some things came down to the, blood, the bloodline. Um, you know, one of my daughters is constantly putting together, you know, um, crafts and gifts for friends of hers and I'm like oh yeah I remember I used to do stuff like that she had like a list and an itinerary you know my other daughter is leaning more towards writing um so she's walking around with a you know a journal and sketching ideas and concepts and writing things down she can't she's too young to write right but I can tell that that's in her so yeah um, yes I've always been a creative I've always been a creative and that's reminding you of yourself, uh, writing and stuff. I guess that's that's from being in a military family. Were you in? A, is that why you were in Fayetteville? Were you were you no, in, your uh, family in the military? I actually come from a, fa- a family of educators. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and so um, my my grandfather migrated to Fayetteville, North Carolina, to teach uh, secondary education at Fayetteville State University. Oh wow! and administration so he basically teaches principals and administrators how to or he did when he was alive mm-hmm. um so my uh, my mother and her sisters and my, my grandmother as well all kind of fell in line and became educators as well um yeah my, my mother since she's kind of the black sheep of the family she since kind of she retired from that in the 80s but the rest of the family did go on to become um you know principals and um, superintendents and yeah um, and stuff like that so 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 that's where the right the writing and the sort of uh the sort of thinking stuff comes from your yeah i mean yes i I come from a family that um prioritizes that that always prioritized a robust education um so it was easy with me having a natural writing talent and aptitude early on for them to support that um, as I got older and got a bit more bohemian, um, you know, they were kind of less able to relate to where I was going creatively, but they always supported because they knew, um, you know, I showed early on that I was uh, a creative um, 
with several different aptitudes. Writing was just my strongest. So they knew I was going to take in some interesting directions. Yeah. Um, but no one could predict the directions that I would take. Yeah. And you, you uh, one of those was music, obviously, yes. that you that you also did. Uh, and and where did that come from? Where did, where did that start? Oh, man, I, I don't know. I think it started before I got here. Um, I, <laughs> I, and once it hit, um, you know, which was very young, uh, my love for music went, I think, much deeper than, you know, most of the people that I was around or, or in my family. Um, everyone loves music, of course, to some degree. But the depth at which it was resonating with me um, started pretty early on. But I didn't feel empowered to really practice musicianship until, um, you know, probably junior high or so. I went to pick up an instrument, but that wasn't really the way. But it kind of like piqued my interest in terms of songwriting, you know, and, and writing is a, another 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 way to express the writing format and medium um, was through song. Yeah. Um, but then by the time I, I got to college and I started getting around all these rappers and um you know i had always you know i grew up in hip-hop culture i'm hip-hop generation so you know once i was in the right elements then it was just off to the races from there um, yeah so where'd yeah, you go to from, college i went to morehouse college in atlanta and that's yeah. you know that's the atlanta was the the heart of it right like if you weren't in new york you wanted to be in atlanta well, yeah, um, at the time where I was in school, um, Atlanta was still kind of burgeoning. You know, I was okay. in school in the 90s. It was still kind of burgeoning in terms of its station in hip hop culture and music yeah. culture. It, it hadn't become the behemoth that it is now um, quite yet. But I was there right at the nexus and right at the inflection point of that moment. Um, so I got to see Atlanta turn over into a world class hub of culture and commerce um, oh wow i was in college you know during that time it was really the 96 olympics you know that kind of changed everything right it kind of came right. through, swept you know swept the city clean so to speak for better or for worse yeah so um, so yeah atlanta was definitely a very cool it still is a beautiful you know it's my favorite city on the map but it's different now but um it was definitely a very, very interesting, just lovely, quaint place to kind of cut teeth as an artist um, at a certain time of matriculation. There was like an alignment of beautiful things happening at that time, in addition to where I was in my personal kind of evolutionary arc. Um, mm -hmm. it, kind of all, it all lined up for perfect timing to kind of help me become who I am today. And at what point did you say, hey, uh advertising that might be something interesting uh making things for corporations and things like that yeah so honestly i have a love-hate relationship with advertising i didn't go to it um it it it, it came to me and it won't leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> it won't leave me alone but i've come to appreciate and love it's sort of like imagine sort of i'm i'm like an mma artist you know who practices different martial arts mm -hmm. uh, advertising is the art with the biggest and most robust dojo and certified teachers mm. and it keeps pulling me in it, it kept pulling me in um at a time where i was kind of trying to figure out where to go and it kept supplying me with teachers 
and mentors and um, a lens through which to view where art and commerce intersect. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question more directly, I was, I started out in music journalism um, professionally. You know, I got my degree in, I got my degree in biology and as per the deal, I struck up with my family and then (laughs) that was the thing there. You got to have something to to fall back on. So it's got to be something. Yeah. Yeah. And why biology? Because you doctor, would that be the thing you fall back on? Well, so um, I've always had an interest in the sciences um, and life science in general. And at that time, I was very passionate about applying my my skills and my abilities and my POV to environmental science. And mm-hmm. top line in the zeitgeist now about climate change is something that's always been on my mind, you know, as as you know, from a youth. And so yeah. my connection to the earth and you know nature and wilderness um, is is very much a big part of me. And so when it came time to choose a major. Then I was like, let's go the biology route. I excelled in it in high school. Um, and it's just that I knew that there was something there. Something's always pulling me and I don't quite know why, you know. And so I, I knew something was pulling me towards biology. And so I, I went that way. And similarly, you know, something was pulling me towards advertising and it didn't make sense to me in my, you know, my front mind at the time. Um, but now I understand looking back 20, you know, uh, 2020 hindsight is like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is exactly the path and the way that I was supposed to go. And I needed these knowledge sets and I needed this background and I needed to be able to connect dots in this way. And I needed this formal training. I didn't know why I took nine years of Latin. It just something that was, that pulled me to do it. And so now I understand why though, because it allows my processor to work in, in the way that it needs to, for me to, you know, work in the way that I do and disseminate the messages that I do. So when I finished school, in, you know, in 99, um, I went into music journalism and because that was the natural fit uh, for me and, and where I was. How did you get and, into music journalism? Uh, just hopped in. It's, you know, as, as a music fan, I was always reading the rags and, um, you know, I was like, this is something I could do. You know, this is a good educational um, resource, you know, for people who want to learn about music and culture. Mm. I'm a writer. I can do this in my sleep. It's a fun way to meet people and make money. So and I can do this and still work on my music. Cool. So I did that. And it led me to a publication called Frank 151, which had started in Atlanta, but migrated to New York. I went to New York and I pitched myself to Frank as a writer. But at the time, what they were doing was, although they were a culture and like kind of like street culture magazine, they were developing another branch that was um, an agency. You know, they were developing an, a, a boutique agency. Oh, and okay. So, the founder, whose name is uh, Steve Malvin, he's one of these people that sees things, you know, a few years before they come and he can see things in you that you don't see yet and like all of that. Um, and so very early on, he looked at me and said, okay, it's cool you doing this journalism stuff, but you should be a copywriter. And I was like, what's, a, you know, I had no idea what a copywriter was. And he was like, well, cool. So we're building out the agency and we could use a copywriter. And so I'm going to send you to School of Visual Arts to get some training. And then, you know, we'll hop in. And so that's, it's, that's what it's been (laughs) since then. Wow. So that was in New York? I finished, you know, I finished school school. in Atlanta and then hung out in Atlanta for a couple of years and then moved to New York right on the heels of 9-11. 
And so I was already in New York, um, kind of trying to find my way. What was the goal with your music yeah. career? Was that the was that the real like, oh, if I could just make that happen, like all this other stuff? Yeah. The goal for me, um, sure, was in, in a certain sense, sort of widespread acclaim and, you know, riches and, you know, sure. music stardom. But really, the goal for me was always creative sovereignty. I wanted to create a life for myself where I could create indefinitely and experiment with no with no restrictions and create my own sources of revenue in my own way. And so and, and as I continue to create and make music, that's something that I continually um, strive for. And my music career has always run in parallel to my professional life. So I began as copywriter while cultivating my music and creative career in parallel. So they're pretty much like a, I live two lives, you know. What was the agency called? Yeah, so they started off as Malvin Brothers Farms, and then they became Bon, B-O-N, Bon. Oh, okay. Yeah, so with Malvin Brothers Farms, where I first cut my teeth as a copywriter, we were doing work with uh, some of our clients were uh, Sprite, Molson, oh, wow. Ice. ESPN2, and you branded the uh, online culture magazine, The Skinny. Scion was really big on, and we were essentially like agency record in Malvin Brothers Farms. And so we helped each other grow. Um, we were a big part of the Scion story back yeah. then. So they were trying to figure out ways to speak to culture. They're very much like kind of what Red Bull is doing now. You know, I think Scion paved the way for them to to see how to move and what not to do and boom, boom, boom. The car Scion? Yeah. Toyota, uh, Toyota yeah. Scion. So they had an online culture magazine uh yeah. that that they made i didn't realize that that's really cool so that was yeah, like were, content marketing you were doing back yes, then yes very much so um malvin brothers farms I, I i would i would dare say one of the pioneers of content marketing if not the pioneers and and tying it to culture um, yeah they were they were very adept at that and there's a lot of um you know people in my cohort who came through those ranks um who are now doing you know really well in 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 advertising um, who did you work with there at, at Melbourne Brothers? Jesse Nicely, uh, who I consider a, a good friend. He's a VP of strategy at uh, the Casimir Agency, um, mm -hmm. which are good friends of mine. You know, again, Stephen Malvin, um, he's gone on to launch his own um, luxury golf brand. I, um, I just saw that. I just saw he's with Justin Bieber is helping him with that. So yeah. that's kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah. Looks yeah. like he's doing okay post advertising. Yeah. Post advertising. <laughs> and that's the thing too. A lot of uh Frank 151 alum um also went on to do, you know, have great careers post ever, you know, yeah. post advertising. Like uh our buddy uh Daniel Cherry. I think he's uh is he at Adidas? Daniel Cherry the third? Uh yeah, Daniel Cherry third. Yeah. He's at Adidas. He's got uh oh. he looks like mm -hmm. he's doing great. Yeah, yeah. Some so really, really cool, smart. Um, people to come out of that shop, yeah. And, but yeah. it's kind of a shame not to see them in this space in this time. It was one of those stories where they were probably about fifteen to twelve years too early because everything that is valuable now, you know, is stuff they were doing back in like oh two. You know, content marketing, defining segments, and you know, niche niche kind of conversational marketing that reaches niche segments, you know, that could have wider uh, impact and reach. 
you know, like they they were kind of some of the first to see how valuable it was to speak directly to skate culture, to hip hop culture, to um, to the artist community as a you know consumer segment, um, fashion and design, you know, all of these things that are like driving the cultural zeitgeist now. Um, there, it wasn't always like this in content marketing. Like things started off kind of dry, and now things are, you know, uh, moving with the culture, and things are things are colorful and um, you know intersectional, and you know vibrant and tied to music and the arts and fashion and design and and also to the community. You know, that's that's something that's bubbled up in the last couple of years. You know. In the wake of all the kind of social and civil unrest we've experienced in America the last, you know, six, seven years, now it's like a thing, you know, to connect your brand to meaningful community pieces. And that's something that we were doing, you know, 20 years ago. Not saying we were the first, you know, but yeah. um, in terms of how it connects to youth culture and um and all the things that we love to talk about, all the little buzzwords, like they were, they've been there for a long time. You know? Yeah. Uh, interesting to see how things have come and seeing how we respond and how the, how the younger generation responds to those, those type of uh, communications. I love it. I love that you, you sort of came to it with a journalism mindset, which I think is the way I think every ad person has to come to things now because it's not about faking it and making up a story anymore. It's about like doing your research and finding these like little nuggets and these insights and these, uh, you're right, like these specific people that are gonna spread it because they've got the passion, right? And it's not about demographics or geographics. It's about this like psychographic of like, You know, skate culture, it doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a, a geographic place. It's its a mindset, right? It's like punk almost. It's um, yeah. uh, where'd you go from there, from uh, from 151? Did, were, were you then like, oh, okay, I get this content marketing thing? Or were you still like, I want to be in journalism? And I was young enough and stupid enough to think that I could just do it all. So I, I didn't stop anything. I just found a new lane and then like grew another foot and dipped the foot into that lane too. A lot of these jobs overlap, right? Like you're like doing this and doing that at the same time. Like you, well, you're. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it was always important for me to have options. And it was also important for me to have a versatile skill set, which required me to stay sharp in several different things at once. I got into market research with a company that's now owned by IAG Nielsen. And that began my long, illustrious career watching television for a living, which is essentially <laughs> what I do. So you lucky guy. Man, so fortunate. So fortunate. <laughs> I lived a hard saga in other ways, but my professional life has been pretty cushy, you know. And, and as a writer was, you know, watch television shows and then spot instances of product placement. And we would compile those instances and churn out um, this kind of data analysis of the effectiveness of the product placements. And so started out as a writer there, like, you know, because we kind of gamify this research um, for viewers, you know, it was a fun game for them. And then boom, they would every once in a while get a question about product placement. And then we would like process that and, you know, churn it out to clients. Who knows how much money they made, but it was crazy. <laughs> Starting out there as a writer and then became a coordinator and then an editor, which meant like I was overseeing, you know, an office of probably about like 50 to 75 writers and editors who were all watching all these television shows. Um, and that was really, eye-opening you know it kind of began to change the way that I look at entertainment and not in a bad way but just in a very like I'm able to 
see through the veil and see how entertainment is turning the gears of commerce and how everything is connected, um, which informs a lot of my POV, you know, today. And then from there, I went to, you know, online community management for Fortune 500s like uh, Microsoft and Fox and Disney through a, um, a small startup that was like selling software as a service. And the software was about community management and churning that management into digestible data and numbers um, that they could use to make business decisions. And then from there, I hopped back into music and started cutting my teeth and understanding the nature of algorithms and started developing my, my POV on AI. Um, although I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was doing. How so? What do you, what do you mean? What were you doing that you didn't know was going to become AI? Yeah, I was um, essentially building the data sets and training the algorithms for streaming services. You know, a couple of big ones that I can't name, but mm -hmm. this was a this was a process of putting together genre based playlists that we would feed to to the machine, and then the machine would come back and let us know like what it added to the mix, and then we would refine its choices. Around then is when I you know started getting to know how these machines work and what it takes to train them and the massive amount of human effort it, it takes to um, train an algorithm. Yeah. So for, for a creative guy like that was writing and doing things, was that frustrating to be like teaching this machine where, where you were, was that, or you just love it. Cause it was like, you got to just listen to music all day and like live music, music. Fan first. Yeah, yeah. Fan first. So I was getting fed like all the new music you know, before it came out, yeah, all of, from across genres. And for me, you know, as a real music lover of all styles and genres and eras, oh, I mean, it was like, it was like having all the favorite, all your, all it's like food trucks just coming to you and like, yeah, you're being paid to eat all yeah. the best foods, you know, yeah. before, it, you know, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, yeah. and, it, and it changed it changed how I go about, you know, listening to music in a in a good way and organizing my own personal music um, library. So, no, it was not frustrating. Yeah, it was fun to like meet new artists and their labels and their representation and see them come up. You know, there's artists that were going through who were up and coming artists back then who were like household names now that you know I'm like, man, I feel like I had a little a little something to do with that. And yeah. so it feels kind of like maybe have had a hand in that. You know, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, so I, I would say um, after so it was 2010, 2013, those guys. And then, yeah, I hopped into marketing, but it's still in the music way. I, I worked with Stampede Management. They managed um, Snoop Dogg and Busta Rhymes and Macy Gray and YG, a bunch of hip hop artists. And um, I was brought in to help manage their brand, their brand partnership portfolios. Yeah, it was kind of more of this hybrid, you know, branding, you know, marketing, you know, pitching. I had I had to pitch my artists a lot, our artists a lot, um, finding, you know, it was like biz dev, like looking for opportunities, you know, and, and I got this work based off of the strength of my trajectory and my successes as a music artist. Like I struck up like, you know, interesting partnerships, you know, with um, notable brands, you know, for my projects, you know, and I self-released you know, cool things in interesting and different ways um, that got people's attention. And so that's how I got that work. It didn't have very much to do with anything I had done professionally outside of like a few stripes I had earned in the market research, you know, stuff with IAG 
And yep. obviously journalism background, like it all helped, you know, everything. Yeah. So yeah, so that's why I went Stampede Management. Now they have a sister company called Casimir Agency. I was also kind of brought in to be a bridge and a liaison between the Stampede Management wing of the company and the Casimir Agency unit. So I straddled both of those sides and eventually over time, uh, Cashmere got me, you know. Because uh, they were making stuff and you, you were, it was more creative. They were making stuff and then there were certain things that kept bubbling up that only I could do, um, which at this point, you know, I, I started becoming more of a specialist. There are certain things that I could do that is just hard to find out there. And so at this time, Donald Glover sure. came up with this idea for a show that went on FX. And One of my favorite shows ever. I mean, I couldn't yeah. stop watching it. So when Glover um, came to Cashmere Agency and decided that he wanted to work with them on the show, he had this novel idea for making their social presence like this immersive experience um, and a seamless experience between the, the series and the social presence. And so he wanted the sh he wanted the social handles to reflect this POV of someone who had come up in Atlanta, but was like a little weird and off kilter and, um, you know, could quit, you know, with the best on Twitter. And so um, I was I was brought in to bring that to life on Twitter. So I brought Atlanta to life on Twitter and Instagram um, and helped them shape and develop that voice. Wow. And that was that was quite an adventure um yeah totally changed my life and sharpened my career trajectory and my, my creative um skill set and and all of that and the the final season which was last year mm -hmm. um for the send-off what we decided to do was have the twitter account be take taken over by an ai and so we um just staged this big stunt, you know, for an AI to take over the Twitter handle. And we went into like a few weeks of like, you know, training the machine and off of all the like tweets and captions and everything I had written over the last five years. Um, and, and we launched it. I didn't, I like, I pitched the idea and I didn't think the network was going to go for it, but Donald and the network went for it. And we actually, wow. and that's how we ended the, uh, that's how we ended the season. What, what, what are some tips you can give to some, maybe some social media managers out there that are, or mm. what are the things you learned during that? I would say for social media managers um, and, and those who aspire to become social media professionals, I would say keep an eye on AI because I think that's going to change how we go about marketing on mm. social. How? I'm not quite sure, but my thing with creatives right now and AI is that we need to be educating ourselves aggressively yeah. and, and updating our updating our skill sets and our capabilities so that we can actually define what's next. Because yeah, yeah, for so long, um, as creatives and marketing creatives, we're kind of told what it is that we need to do in order to, you know. Um, meet the objectives and hit the bottom lines. But I think we're at an inflection point now where we can actually kind of help define what's going to be important. Um, and I think we do that through education and empowerment, you know, um, part, with particular regards to AI. What do you do to teach yourself? How are you learning AI? You know, I have friends dropping me stuff every day with a new, uh, a new thing that can do a thing that we didn't know we needed done. 
there is an AI out there now. Uh, it can scan like the wide world of scripts and find like, let's say you're looking for ambulance scenes, you know, it can scan all the scripts, find yeah. your ambulance scenes for you, tell you what page they're on in the script and time codes in the film if it was actually produced. Oh yeah. my God. It's overwhelming the updates, the AI updates, you know, on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. Um, to the point where what I'm doing is I'm slowing down what I take in and really trying to refine my POV. I, I do experiment a little bit, like on my passion projects. Um, you know, we play around with visual um, concepting and, you know, to kind of kickstart our brains in certain design directions. But um, I'm really about to pick up the mantle, I would say, probably in the next couple of weeks, particularly with my organization at, at GLOW and the creative department at GLOW. At Glow. Yeah, I want to talk about GLOW. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's very, very important that our creative department is armed with all the AI tools or, or some understanding, some baseline understanding of what's out there, what are the uses, and maybe come up with some best use cases. You know, mm -hmm. because there's kind of like this gold rush energy right now of like rushing to figure out how to use it and like how to, you know, incorporate it into their services. And part of the reason that there has, I think there hasn't been a huge splash yet is because people aren't taking time to think about what we need, you know, and yeah. history, history is wrought with lessons of us rushing into something so that we can do things bigger, better and faster without like taking a beat it probably would serve us to stop and think about why sometimes before we hop into just moving early on tech because we can, you know? Yeah. I don't think an AI could have done everything back to front for the Atlanta thing, but, uh, for instance, you know, it's like, you got to mm -hmm. know how a human talks and they don't, they don't know that yet. Uh, but I think they're going to be quick about it. Um, it's going to move fast. And so we need to buckle up. And so to answer your question, what am I doing to train? I'm buckling up and I'm getting my department and my colleagues buckled up. And yeah. then hopefully that's something that we can export to the wider creative community so that they too can buckle up um, yeah. and you know learn to empower themselves. It's too late by the time that things get to the communities that are most affected and impacted. You know, like some of my some of my community work has been pushing back against dismantling predictive policing, which is largely driven by AI and right. um, has had, you know, deadly, deadly implications and consequences in yeah. communities across America. Part of the reason that it's been able to do to do that is because there's this acceptance in the collective human consciousness that because it's AI and because it's data, it's infallible. And we know that's not true. Right. Yeah. Because if it's designed and built and trained by humans, then by <laughs> definition, it's not infallible. That's right. It allows the AI to target, you know, um, unfairly, um, you know, people in communities, make them targets, pre-criminalize them. And then, you know, next thing you know, someone is either losing their life or their life has been, you know, catastrophically altered, you yeah. know, because law enforcement has been justified, you know, through predictive policing and AI. 
right. uh, reactions. I wanted to ask about uh, about Glow. I'm looking at your work here. It's a it's a social agency. It's a yeah. it's a digital agency. What what is what is Glow and 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 why did you go there? Well, Glow is the first agency that I worked for full time. Uh, which is a huge testament to who they are. I've been a career-long freelancer, which served me well. Yeah. Having my, my legs, my hands, and so much. But Glow, I basically followed our executive creative director there. Our, her name is Ellie Lloyd, and she's just an outstanding leader and creative. We crossed paths as freelancers um, maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah. And after working with her, you know, and she moved on. I was like, look, wherever you go, like, I want to go. You know, you can always tap on me. Sure enough, like, she landed at Glow. She like, I found a spot. I love these people. I think they're the real deal. And I went and I sniffed around and I freelanced, you know, for about nine months before I was sold on them. So Glow is, you know, first and foremost, yes, yeah, a social and digital agency. They specialize in, in immersive experiences. What I love about Glow is they just have a really firm hold of empathy um, and it permeates throughout all aspects of the organization and which in turn kind of permeates our work, you know. Um, what are we doing to make each other feel good and feel safe and feel valued and feel seen? And then how does that, how is that going to apply to our work? What are we doing here that is meaningful, you know, not just practical, practical or splashy. That's, that's been my glow experience so far. Great clients. I mean, from, from the MBA to a lot of TV shows, Showtime, mm -hmm. video game Cuphead, which is one of my favorites. What have you worked on uh, so far when you're there and what, what are you excited to, to make? Had, had the esteemed opportunity to help bring in the Roku business and um, become oh, yeah. AOR with them, uh, the Roku channel. That's been a lot of fun and helped them get their legs and um, rolled out the Weird Al Yankovic um, story, which was just incredible and incredible experience. Yeah, various titles, um, CBS to History Channel, um, and a few of uh, some of the most important and like big stuff I can't even name, but there's a lot going on there that I've been really fortunate to to be a part of. And, you know, it touches on everything from from social to uh, to activations to rebrands to just like influencer activations, you know, and it's all been all been fun. You know, in the time that I've yeah. been a day where I've woken up and been like, oh, no. <laughs> no, it's like you have a great you have a great job, and um, I've I've really loved uh, getting to know you and getting to meet you. How can people find you and send you their book? What do they who do they reach out to? You can email me at some at we are glow. My social handle is at some killer a uh, at s u m k i l l a. And then uh, glow agency is at uh... weareglow.com. And if you go to the website on the landing page, you'll see a sizzle reel. And I did the theme song for that reel. So you'll hear some of my music. So you'll too. hear your music as well. Are your albums on Spotify? Do you have stuff out there? Yeah, yeah I'm constantly releasing stuff. I'm actually moving into a release cycle now um, for my next project. It'll be the first one that I release in probably about five years, um, you know, post pandemic and post becoming a parent. I also have music in video games and on TV. Um, there's music in the pilot of Breaking Bad and music in Sons of Anarchy. This, the Saints Row video game franchise. I have yeah. music in a couple of installments there. Yeah. Um, well, it was really great to meet you. Uh, and uh, what a great, what a great story. You gave me a whole new list of people to look for because I've never mm -hmm. heard of a couple of the agencies and that that's mm -hmm. on me. And thank you.
so much because advertising is the best. It's the best career you do. You get to watch TV shows, play video games, go to movies and uh, listen to music. Yeah, no, um, I thank my lucky stars. You know, there are yeah. times where there are times where, you know, maybe I'm a little jaded just on the way that things work. But I would say that's like five to 10 percent of the time, 95, 90 yeah. percent of the time. I'm like, wow, this is what I do. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> and if you have any appetite for like understanding the human mind and how it works and human psychology, like there's almost no better career you could have than in advertising. You're you got front row seats when you're in advertising. Yeah. You know? All right, some great. Well, have a great day. Uh, this is a great episode. I think it's going to be uh, really inspiring for people. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and yeah. Out. And I mean, I've seen the pedigree of um, speakers and guests that you've had on your, your podcast. And it's just such an honor to even be in the oh same. I, I, I am. Uh, I have no producer. It's just me looking for people. So give me the benefit of the doubt if I haven't called you yet. Well, right thanks, on. Sam. Thank you so much, Tom. Have a good day. Nice meeting you. Peace. You too. Thanks to Sam Patton for an enlightening conversation. You'll find all of his work at sumpatton.com. That's S-U-M-P-A-T-T-E-N.com. And you can check out Glow's work at weareglow.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, or maybe even share us with a friend who should be in advertising. It really helps us get the word out. And please go to adhousenyc.com and register for the next round of classes before they're sold out. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can always find me at tomchrisman.net or on most of the socials at Mongo Industries. And if you want to be a guest on the show or have a comment or suggestion, give me a shout at tom at adhousenyc.com. See you next time.